Here's what I want. I want this to be a time when we can we can talk, interact, have questions. So it's, I don't want it. It'll be much more interesting if it's not just me lecturing for 45 minutes on Revelation. Okay. Let me also tell you that tonight is going to be a little different because we're going to be lots of information coming tonight, and we won't be very far into the scripture. But there are things that we need to talk about before we start to kind of lay the background. Okay. And so you're, you're going to, at times, feel maybe like we're in a classroom setting at, at moments because some of you will be very comfortable there. That would be great. And some of you will not be, and that will be great too, all right? And so we're going to talk about some issues of the book of Revelation, and then we will be, we, we, we'll get into some of it, but we're also going to um, kind of wade slowly in, almost like we're kind of dipping our toes in the water tonight before we jump in full force in the next few weeks, all right? So let me ask you a question. Why do you think people are so interested in the book of Revelation? What about it makes it interesting? It's going to happen. So there's this predictive future element, okay, because it deals with end times, okay? Yeah, and we can see that, not just because people are interested in Revelation, but some of the biggest movies in recent years have been something where the, the world is coming to an end. How are we going to avoid it? I mean, uh, I can think off the top of my head of things like Armageddon and Independence Day and War of the Worlds, which that goes, that, that's not a modern, I mean, it is a modern movie, but it goes way back. But people are interested in the world's going to end kind of stuff. Uh, everything from the really crazy uh Things to the not so crazy. I saw this week. I don't know if the movie came out last week or this coming out this week. Apollo 18. Have y'all seen any of the previews? It's out. It's a movie about the reason we stopped going to the moon is because there's alien life forms that will eventually come and get us. Okay. 2012. The Mayan calendar predicts. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that's part of it. There's this curiosity, Joe, with end times in general. Steve. Yeah. So there's questions for both those that aren't believers. Okay, if this starts to happen, how can I know that this is happening? I think there's desire from believers to say, okay, so if my mom, dad, sister, brother, children, if they miss it, is there an opportunity for them to to get it, for lack of a better word there? Anything else? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. What, what? If people are one, okay. So people are concerned if if Lord comes back and my son has not yet accepted Christ. Okay, what, what's going to happen to him if I'm gone? Okay, so those kind of questions are maybe it's not your son, but coworkers, relatives, whatever. Why is it interesting to go? Somebody was going to. Oh, what does it mean? It, it's it's uh. It's an easy book to read, but it's not an easy book to understand, right? Um, there's lots of symbolism there. There's lots of crazy things happening there. I mean, we're going to talk about beasts coming out of the water. We're going to talk about beasts with multiple heads. We're going to talk about dragons. We're going to talk about, it almost sounds like um, Harry Potter fantasy it does. Yeah, I mean, it does. It feels like one of those fantasy epic novels, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, Narnia, all those kind of things. In fact, um, 
I mean, C.S. Lewis, the, the book, uh, his last book in the Narnia series called The Last Battle is in some ways kind of a retelling from a Narnia standpoint of things in Revelation. And so uh, there, there are lots of reasons that it's interesting. There are lots of reasons, too, that people avoid it. So why do people avoid it? Well, why do ministers avoid it? Since I obviously am not, I'm diving headfirst in. Afraid of what you don't know? Anything else? Why do people avoid it? What you don't know won't hurt you. People think, all right, if I don't know about it. Yeah. I mean, there's this idea that, that if it's there, if things are going to happen like this... There are just those people that like to, to be the ostrich, right, in life, in general. I just stick my head in the sand. Everything will work out all right. I'll stick it back up when I think everything's going to work out. So in life, in general, people are like that. There are some people, men are notorious for this, that won't go to the doctor until they absolutely have to, right? And you just, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'll work through it, right? They just go, stick my head. If I don't know, then... I can't be scared of what I don't know, right? Right. And so that's part of it. I'll tell you from a from a a pastor's standpoint, from my standpoint, one of the difficult things about Revelation is that um, I can have four or five books out on Revelation, which I have several and have consulted several for tonight and that I've got laid out to consult as we go along, of men that I greatly respect. And they'll all say different things. And so there's no consensus. When you read the book of, when you read a commentary on uh, Romans, and Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All the commentaries say the same thing. When you get to Revelation, even in some of the things we're going to talk about, it's all over the place. And I'm not talking about it's a little different variation. It's all over the place. And so you read, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, ancient people had different views than modern people that have different views than the church fathers, that had different views from another era. And today, people you respect have different views all along the place. Uh, David Docker, who I respect, the president of Union University, has a different view than Daniel Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary, has a different view than Adrian Rogers, who's a great preacher. I mean, you know, just... All over the place. And so it's hard to come. And what you don't want from me is every week to say, let's look at Revelation 114. Here are the eight views of Revelation 114. And let's look at 115. Here are the seven views. You don't want that. And I don't want I don't want to do that. And so it's kind of bringing it together in that way. All right. Well, here's the thing that's interesting. Some famous people in history have avoided it. One such example is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the Reformation guy, the 95 Thesis on the door at Wittenberg that accused the church of all things wrong and started the Protestant movement of which we are descendants today, said this about the book. My spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book. There is one sufficient reason for the small esteem in which I hold it. In fact, he didn't know that it ought to be in the Bible. He said, it neither recognizes or teaches Christ, which just means he didn't read it like I read it, because it teaches Christ everywhere. 
I mean, they're falling down worshiping him all the time. But that's what I'm saying. A guy like Martin Luther, who it's the guy that said, By grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, and said, The Catholic system is wrong because they say you have to have works. That guy said, I don't like this book. Now, it wasn't the only book he didn't like. He didn't like James at all. He said it was too hard to live, <laughs> so he didn't like it. Now, most may, we may not say that, but there are times we read stuff and go, man, it would be better if that was not in the Bible, all right? And so we're going to look over these weeks, months, years, whatever. It won't take us years. We'll be done before the Mayan end of the world, all right? So... We're going to look at what this book means. All right, let's read Revelation 1, 1 through uh, 8 is where we're going to read tonight. And then we're going to do some background stuff, talk through it. Okay. You'll see where it gets its title in the very first sentence. The very first words are the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right, we're going to look at some different parts of the book and just ask some basic kind of starter questions. And then if we get into chapter one, we will. If we don't, we'll take it up next week. All right. And the first thing I want us to talk about is the title. What's the title of the book? Revelation, okay? This is one of those things that they they uh, broke me of in seminary, actually at Union, because on a couple of my tests, I wrote Revelations. They don't have grace on grading at Union. And so when I wrote about the book of Revelations, I missed that question. They don't do the little, oh, you added an S, Now, here's the reason, theologically, it's important that it's revelation, not revelations. It's because it is one coherent revelation of Jesus Christ and what is to come. Now, the title of this book probably comes from the fact that in the days they were writing the New Testament, most of them would have been written initially on a scroll. And when they would roll the scroll up in order to identify it, as you would do, they would write on the outside of it, this is what this is. And most people think that this first little phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, was the title written on the outside. Now, does anybody know what the Greek word for revelation is here? 
Y'all didn't learn that? Look at Miss Jones, star student tonight. Apocalypse. That's it, all right? So the word here, the actual first word of this book is apocalypse. Now, when you hear apocalypse, what do you think of? The end? All those, the four horsemen of the apocalypse? All right? Not the four horsemen of Notre Dame football, but the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There was a Vietnam movie called Apocalypse Now. I love the smell of napalm in the morning, right? And so that's on people's minds occasionally. The word apocalypse means, well, it means revelation, right. But what it means is unveiling, okay? And so when it says the revelation, what it means is, when you get that from Revelation, right, it's the revealing, it's the unveiling, it's the disclosure of Jesus Christ. And so the picture here literally is kind of twofold. One is um, something that has been veiled or covered that is suddenly open for all to see, or um, a mystery that has been solved. And so the idea here is that this book is the uncovering of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? There is pages and pages. I just want you to know, there is a commentary on Revelation. I have the three volumes that consist of. Revelation 1 through 5 is a 700-page book. And people write pages about what it means. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Does that mean it's a revelation about Jesus Christ? Does that mean it's a revelation from Jesus Christ? Is that a revelation for Jesus Christ? Is that a relation is that a revelation belonging to Jesus Christ? And my answer to that is yes. I think it's all meant here. That it is a disclosure from about and belonging to Jesus. So what we have to get an understanding of is this book, according to its description in the first verse, is not a book about primarily the end times. Okay, I'm going to say that again. This book, in its first words, tells us That it is not a book primarily about the end times. Now, that doesn't mean that the end times aren't a major part of the book, but the book is about Jesus. And it's a revealing of who he is, of what he's like, and of what his judgment will be, and why. So it's one of those books that, in some ways, when you say Revelation, the first thing we think of is end times. Not Jesus. And what I'll hope is, what we see over these next few weeks and months as we study this is, that every chapter reverberates with Jesus. There are people that say that end times understanding is about fourth or fifth on the list of things that are taught in this book. What you have in this book, they say, is first of all an understanding of Jesus. Then it is a book of worship. There are 
worship songs. There are worship scenes. There's worship in heaven. There's worship on earth. There's worship all over the place in here. It is a commentary on the Old Testament. There are people that find more allusions to the Old Testament than there are verses in Revelation. So there are a little over 400 verses in Revelation. People have found upwards of 500 allusions to the Old Testament. So they say it's a commentary on the Old Testament. Oh, and it talks about the end times. All right. Now, some of you are concerned that, oh, then we're not going to talk about the end. We will. All right. I'm just saying that we're also going to talk about Jesus and we're going to talk about worship and we're going to talk about allusions to the Old Testament. We're going to talk about those kind of things. Now, there are four different approaches to how you can come to Revelation. And this is where we're going to get into some 50 cent words. All right. The first one, the first approach that we're going to talk about is the idealist approach. All right. The idealist will come to Revelation and they will read it and say that what Revelation is about is it is the timeless principles God is speaking to his people. And it has nothing to do with any historical events or future events. That all that is there is they are teaching timeless principles. So it's not saying this is how it did happen or will happen. It's these are the timeless principles of God. Okay, That when people rise up and persecute his people, then God rescues them in a mighty way. And then when God's people get persecuted again, they get rescued. And in the end, God will win and take care of everything. But not necessarily, you don't have to connect the dots here. Okay? The second type is called the historicist. Historicist. H I S T O R I C I S T. There is a test later, Michelle, just in case you're wondering. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we got to use technical. That would be too simple, Carol. We don't we don't want people to feel like they can get too good of a grasp. All right, we historicist or historist or hystericals or whatever. All right, the historicist. It's easy for you to say, right? These historicists, you don't in Greek. Um, Number two is historicists. I'm just going to say number two people, all right? They say that what Revelation is is a detailed map of history from the time John wrote it until the end of time. So it is a detailed map of history from the date of its writing to the future culmination of all history. It's really bad when you think that's what you are and you can't pronounce what you are, right? I'm not saying that's what I am. I'm just saying that that would be really bad. Here's the third one. Preterist. P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T. Here's what they say. They say that the book of Revelation is to be read only as the original audience would have read it. So you read the book of Revelation 
and you figure out only what it meant historically, what it meant for the people of that day, and then you kind of figure out some things from there. Now, this would be the say that you read Revelation in similar way to the way you read Romans or Ephesians. That's what you do with Ephesians. What did it mean to the people that they wrote to? And then, okay, what principles can I draw? That would be the preterist. Here's the fourth one. It's the futurist. F-U-T-U-R-I-S-T. They say that the book of Revelation was written for future fulfillment. That it is a book for the future. Okay? That it is... Uh, nothing in it was that, that the original audience would have received it and could not understand it because it was all about events that were to come and still are to come. Okay. All right, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to talk to the people around you and figure out what you are. All right. And I will take I don't knowest. Okay. No, talk to, talk to the people around you and figure out what you are, and then we'll talk for a second. All right. All right, somebody tell me, what are you? Okay, we got a number four right here. You're, we got number fours here. We got, we, got, we got people jumping ahead right over here, all right? Anybody else got a number that you are? What's that? What are you? You're number one? Let me, okay, y'all get it. What do you think I am? Huh? I'm number five, called eclectic. I didn't give you eclectic, right? You write that down, eclectic. Add that, number five, and write eclectic. I knew, I knew you did. Miss Hilda really was going to say it, but she didn't want to. Miss Hilda's sitting through her second session tonight. <laughs> yes. She left confused last time, which is really no hope for y'all. All right, here's, what does eclectic mean? It's a mixture. He said that was was such a mixture. Yeah, you do. If you look at my music collection, it is eclectic. So in my my iTunes account, I have music from uh, Otis Redding and Elvis Presley and The Temptations. But I also have uh, MC Hammer. I have U2. I have Modern Rock, some... some, uh, uh, Real contemporary rap. I mean, you know, if you look at my, it's eclectic. It means it's all over the place, okay? I got some country. Yeah, I do. Isn't that what? Oh, when I was in high school, that's all I listened to. Little country. Yeah. I'm not Donnie and Marie, no, but I don't have any Donnie or Marie, all right? So I apologize for those things. So I do, actually. All right, here we go. So. Here's my thing, okay? I don't think you can... I think Revelation is such a unique... Um, comp, it's such a unique book. You can't just say, well, this is the way you read every bit of Revelation. I, well, just from my background, and the way that we're going to walk through this, is that I will lean strongly on what the original meant to the original people, and then how that applies and translates to the future. Now, hear me when I say this. 
I think the original people could understand that he was talking about end time stuff just as much as we can. So I don't say that it all has been fulfilled. I don't think it's all been fulfilled. I think you can't read Revelation and think it's all been fulfilled. But at the same time, I don't think John wrote a letter to seven churches for them to look at and go, well, this doesn't mean anything to us. I think it meant something to them. And I had a professor at Union that used to say, the Bible can never mean what it already hasn't meant. Okay? So the Bible can't mean what it didn't already mean. And the idea there is it had to have meaning to the original audience. This book was not written to us first. That doesn't mean it's not any less applicable or important, but it does mean that we need to ask, okay, what would the churches in Asia have understood this to mean, and how does that apply to us, and then what does it tell us about the future? Okay? So there, that is where I will lean. That is the preterist view. Okay? But I'm a futurist at points. I'm an idealist at points. I don't think it's as much, just to be honest, of a road map. I don't think that's the way it was intended. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments that we can look for markers of things that are happening. Okay? And so that's where I am. Now, here's the thing. I can find you reputable scholars that are in all four camps. And so if you go, well, he must not think I'm all right. Yeah, I do. And that's why Revelation is so fascinating to me. People that are much smarter than I have debated it, thought about it, talked about it, and have come to places that are different on it. And we must walk carefully through. And the goal is, this is my goal in Revelation, is to ask, well, what does that help me do today? What does that help me do now? Because the Bible is intended to be something that gives us guidance now, not just something we can make a chart about or think about in the future. Not that that's not important, because the end times discussion is vitally important for today. But we have to come back to, okay, how does that help me live right now? So, we've spent a lot of our time and haven't got close to anywhere near halfway through. So we're going to spoot ahead. All right. Any questions about all that before we do? Oh, yeah. Lyle Larson. No, there are. There are most modern, most scholars today would say you can't make these clear of distinctions. Um, Craig Keener, who writes the NIV application commentary is that way. Uh, George Guthrie, who has written a couple of things and is at Union, uh, is in that camp. Um, uh even people like Moeller and, and Daniel Aiken and Paige Patterson that are kind of Southern Baptist leaders in scholarship would be would say that you can't just divide it easily like that. So, All right, let's talk about who wrote it. Who wrote the book? John. Which John? How do we know that? Where does it say the Apostle John? <laughs> Page 1922. Do you know there were other Johns? Who, who wrote the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What was Mark's name? 
John Mark. There was the elder John that may have been different than the apostle John. So who wrote it? What's that? Is that what your study Bible says? Brother of James? Here, I think John the Apostle wrote it too. So, <laughs> Listen, here's what you learn quickly. There are no such thing as no-brainers when it comes to these kind of issues. All right? There are people that will say somebody else wrote it. I mean... Uh, there are people that say there was a guy named John the Elder that wrote it. There's a guy that says that there was a John the Elder and a John the Prophet and a John the Apostle. There are those that say that uh, back in that day to get people to read your book, you had to put somebody's name on it they knew. And so it would be like me writing a book and write written by Billy Graham on it. But, well, I want to read Billy Graham's new book. I know you do, so buy it, please. Um, but all the best evidence says that it was the Apostle John. Um, here's the thing. When you're looking at these kind of things, they're what they call internal evidence and external evidence. Internal evidence is what it says in the book. And if you look at the book, there's not a lot of internal evidence for John the Apostle. For a couple of reasons. One is, he names himself. In the Gospel of John, he never gives his name. Right? He calls himself what? The apostle whom Jesus loved or the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never gives his name. And so they said, well, why did he decide that he wanted to give his name here? If you read the book of Revelation, it reads complete in the Greek. It reads completely differently than the gospel of John. Listen, I agree. But scholars think you they think you have to write everything the same. Here's another thing. It's a different kind of book than the gospel of John, right? Let's imagine for a minute we're in English class, okay? And I'm going to grade your papers. You okay, Elaine? Did that cause you to choke up there? You had problems with English class in the past? And so I said, Cliff, I need you to write me an essay on the Northern Cardinal. And Carol, I need you to write me a short story about something that happened down at the farmer's market. And uh, Gary, I need you to write me a research paper on the modern industrial revolution. All right? Most of you are thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not Gary. That's what I'm thinking. All right? So, are those three things going to read the same? No, because they're three different types of writing. Revelation is a different type of writing. So, internal evidence isn't a big deal either way. Okay? There are some internal evidence that it is John. The only books of the Bible that refer to Jesus as the Word are John, 1 John, and Revelation. The only ones that talk about Jesus as a witness or being a witness for Jesus are John, 1 John, and Revelation. The only ones that really talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God are John and Revelation. So there is some internal similarities. The big evidence comes from external stuff. Uh, there was a guy in uh, AD 130 by the name of Justin Martyr who claims that John the Apostle wrote the book. And then there was a guy named Irenaeus who, right about that same time, said that John the Apostle wrote the book. Here's why Irenaeus is such an important one. Because he had as a mentor a guy named Polycarp. Um, Polycarp's one of my favorite church fathers. He was the one that was burned, uh, or was attempted to be burned. And uh, the 
Caesar looks at him and says, just deny Christ and I'll let you go. And he says, I have served him all of these years. He has not let me down now. Why would I ever deny him? And then he says, well, if you don't, I'm going to send. And he says, send them on. I am ready. Polycarp was Irenaeus' mentor. Polycarp's mentor, the Apostle John. So Irenaeus saying the Apostle John wrote it, that's a pretty good quick connection. All right? So the uh, best internal and external evidence points toward the author being John the Apostle. Now, when was it written? Anybody know when it was written? All right, so we got four different answers here. Yep, eighty ninety six, eighty ninety five, fifty four through sixty eight, sixty four, seventy. Anybody got four to five? Fifty 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 sixty 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 five seven seven seven. Okay, ready? All right. Here's the traditional view in my view. Revelation was written from the island of Patmos. Why was he on Patmos? He was on exile. I call like to call Patmos the ancient Alcatraz. Okay, remember Alcatraz, the island prison. That's what Patmos was, where John had been exiled during the last part of the reign of Emperor Domitian, is what I believe. D O M I T I A N. Domitian. Ninety to ninety-six. Here's the kind of the 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 long and short of the history. Jesus is crucified when? What year? Here's the deal. When they did the calendar, whoever did the calendar got it wrong by three years. So Jesus was born in 3 B.C. I know that's kind of crazy to think, but Jesus was born, according to all the best estimates, three years before Christ. Okay, So he was born in 3 B.C. So he was crucified in 30 A.D. Okay? Um, so, 30 A.D., the Christian movement begins to start. And there is some persecution, but it's primarily coming from the Jews, right? I mean, Paul is the first one to kind of do that. They're in Jewish towns. They're disrupting synagogues. They're pushed out. They do get to some towns where Gentiles are towards the end of Acts. And when they're there, Paul, but by the time you get to the end of Acts, you're in the late 40s, early 50s, mid 50s, okay? So you're 20 years out. And so there's some some persecution that starts to happen. Uh, The Christians, which were originally seen as a sect or a part of the Jewish faith, begin to make a lot of noise in the mid 50s. And there's this guy in power in Rome who has a little bit of an accident. Like the city kind of half burns down. And the tradition is he was playing his fiddle while it happened, all right? Nero. And Nero needed somebody to blame the fire of Rome upon. And so he blamed the Christians. And so a massive persecution began in the late 50s, early 60s. Most people think that it was under that persecution that Paul, perhaps Peter, several disciples were martyred. Okay, The only apostle apparently to escape all that was John. Once leadership changes, there was a guy that came after Nero who wasn't as fierce as Nero because you want to do things differently than the last guy. Well, when that guy gets out, a guy named Domitian comes up, and Domitian is huge into emperor worship, and he's the emperor. 
So everybody has to worship him. And there's these enclaves of believers in towns all across that are saying, we're not going to do it. And one of their leaders is a guy who is very old, who's named John. And the Apostle John is arrested by Domitian. There are traditions that Domitian tried to kill him, and he couldn't. Like, put him in hot oil, boiling hot oil, and John walks out unscathed. And so Domitian says, if I can't kill you, I'll send you to Patmos. That would have been in the early 90s. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. So if Jesus was crucified in the year 30, and we're talking about this between 90 and 95, how many years is that? 60 to 65 years since Jesus was crucified. If John was a teenager when Jesus called him, which very well could be the case. So by the time Jesus died, let's use round numbers, he was 20. That means that John would have been 80 to 85 on Patmos. That's why there are some people that say that's just impossible to think. It had to be during Nero. There aren't lots of external evidence for Nero, that earlier date. And all of the, all of the kind of external evidence comes from that it was later. In fact, Irenaeus, that guy I talked about, Polycarp's one, says it was written in A.D. 95. He gives an exact date of when it was written. Who did he write it to? Seven churches of Asia, right? Here's the thing. That's where John was probably ministering, so he would have known these well. It was kind of like he would have been... The, I'm, not, I'm going to use the word bishop, but I don't mean it like people think of the bishop today. The bishop, that he would have been the overseer of the overseers of those churches. So uh, John would have known those churches well. When you, read in, uh, when you read the letters, they are addressed in the order to which they would have been delivered. So there was a delivery route. And so they are addressed in that way. And so they're to be carried to a church, read carried to the next church, read, copied if they wanted to, carried to the next church, and read. All right? John wrote the book at the direct command of whom? Yeah, look at verse 10, chapter 1. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. One of those verses that Baptists don't like to hear necessarily. What does that mean? We'll talk about that next week. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Um, and then we're told again in verse 19 that he is told to write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So it was at the correct command of the Lord, and he's writing to churches who were facing persecution from without and compromise from within. So they're being pressured on the outside by people that are arresting them, killing them, destroying them. And there were people that were beginning to waver inside the church about whether they were going to follow the Lord or not. All right. Here's the last thing we're going to talk about tonight. Is why, why do you think we should study it? I've got some answers, but you tell me first. Scripture, that's good as reason of any, right? 
Verse 3 tells us, right? There's a blessing. It doesn't just say that, hey, do this. It says that for those who read it, hear it, and heed it, there's a blessing. So not studying it, we're missing out on a blessing. All right? Let me tell you another reason. It's because of the confusion. We're not going to answer every question, but my hope is that we don't leave completely confused. There have been major difficulties from people that were confused by Revelation. Anybody remember a guy named David Koresh? Waco? His whole group was built on a misunderstanding of Revelation. There are religions, denominations that are built upon misunderstandings of Revelation. And there's just the reality of what I talked about, that it doesn't matter. You can find people from all over the spectrum that believe different things. Now, we didn't get into it tonight, and I didn't, I'm not gonna, we're not going to get into it tonight. But, you know, the big, there, besides the words I gave you already, the other dollar words that when it comes to Revelation are amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, all right? We're not going to get into all that, but just to give you an idea, if you look at some great people throughout history, so Augustine, great church father, John Calvin, and Martin Luther. Those three guys, all millennialist. If you look at great revival preachers of the First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody, Charles Finney, post-millennialist. If you look at early church fathers, they were pre-millennialist, but they were post-tribulation premillennialist. If you look at some preachers today who are premillennialists, they're almost all pre-tribulation premillennialists. Now, you don't have to know what all that means. Just know that if Augustine and Calvin and Luther and Edwards and Finney and church fathers can't agree, we're not going to solve all the problems in here. All right? But at the same time, we got to figure out what the message for us today can be and supposed to be. And then here's the last thing. It just simply is a joyful, comforting book. This is what somebody said. The book of Revelation teaches us that despite appearances to the contrary, God is in absolute control of history. Although God's people are destined for suffering in the present, God's sure salvation belongs to them. God's judgment will come on those responsible for the church's suffering. And in the end, God will restore what was lost and distorted in the beginning. All that to say this. Revelation is a book written for hurting people in need of hope. Just in a little fact that we'll study a little more next week. When it gives the description of who this is, it says that the seven churches are to receive grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come. Now, if I were doing that in a formal writing setting, you're supposed to do it in chronological order, right? The one who was and is and is to come. But that's not how they write it. What they say is, he is the one who is, was, and is to come. And the point is, no matter where you are in history, and no matter what struggle you're going through, he is the God who is. 
And so we're going to be studying about a God who meets us in our most difficult places and is who he's always been and who will always be. All right? Here's what I want you to do this week. you got homework. I want you to sit down sometime and read the entire book of Revelation in one setting. In one setting. All right? Those of you that are uh, technology inclined, there is on the, I don't know if it's on Android, but I know it's on the Apple App Store. Um, there is a graphic novelization of Revelation that they are releasing a chapter about every week. And they've done the first seven or eight. There'll be plenty ahead of us. All right. And so you can, you have, it costs you to download the little packets. But you can buy it. I previewed the first chapter. It's pretty cool looking. It's got uh, artists have drawn and they interspersed the scripture in with the drawings. And so um, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, you can get on the app store and just put in Revelation and check it out. All right. Any questions before we go? Yeah, Jack. I, I don't know that I, I haven't looked that up, Jack. There may be. I don't know that they have a record of who was there. I, I just know that, uh, truthfully, most of the research on Patmos has been done because John mentions it here. So people are just concerned about it in that way. But I don't have any recollection of who was there. I, I just know that it was an island that people, it was considered inescapable. So you couldn't get out, off, couldn't get off the rock. And it wasn't really, there wasn't a prison there necessarily. It was, you just fend for yourself. Yeah. No. Here's one of the cool stories about John. I'll tell you this and we'll go. Tradition holds, and we don't have this written down in Scripture, but tradition holds that John was on Patmos. Domitian had sent him there. And John had written and communicated, including the book of Revelation, to people. You don't worry. God will have the final say. And Domitian is overthrown. And there's a story told of John on a boat coming back to land on the shore with his arms raised in victory as the church ran out to meet him when the temple of Domitian had been taken down and they were allowed to worship freely again. It's a cool story of a guy. There are people... There are a couple of people that I know. There's a guy that I respect that teaches at Union that says that Revelation can be viewed as one of the greatest political tracks in history. And so Revelation is a multifaceted, deep-level, deep-layered book that we're going to have a good time with for eight and a half years. All right? No, we won't be that long. Before the Mayans come back to get us, we'll have it, all right? All right, we're done. Y'all have a great week.